At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. Welcome to the Cryptid Keeper Podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us, and if you're listening, it's you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And we are both bringing a very strange energy to the booth today, so I apologize in advance. For what it's worth, mine is due largely to Dayquil. Heck yeah, it is. They're not sponsoring this episode or anything. I, I just, I mean, I wish they were, because <laughs> I dropped like 20 bucks on that ish yesterday. That's okay, that's okay. Ooh. I know. We're we're coming from some kind of strange spaces today, and I, I wouldn't say my space is inherently bad, just strange. I was mm-hmm. a bit out of commission yesterday, and I'm sort of back on my feet today, which has kind of produced a weird mixture of vibes, uh, but I'm having coffee, and later I'm going to go have a scone. Oh, good. I am very much not back on my feet today. I know. <laughs> I am off today. This is the only work I'm doing. Um, well, okay, except I do have to mail some packages out, so I need to get that on. Um, Wash your hands thoroughly before you do. So much, so much. Yeah, no, this is the only work I'm doing, and then I'm going back to playing the games that I picked up in my Humble Bundle the other day. So. Heck yeah. I just wanted to make sure you didn't accidentally convert any of our merch into a bioweapon. <laughs> no, I would never. Most of it's already packed. I just need to okay, mail it. Okay, fair. Yeah, I, I packaged most of it the other day, um, but that's... Except for the posters, which I'm still waiting on the boxes that I ordered from the USPS like a week and a half ago. But Rude. Extremely. It's not them, though. I think they delivered it like last weekend. It's just my apartment complex not putting it in my heck dang mailbox. Also rude. Somebody's rude here. Also very rude. But I don't want to, you know, I don't want to start any beef with the U.S. Postal Service. Oh, no, definitely don't. You know what? I found out. That USPS is the U.S. Parcel Service. Oh. And that well, the more you know. blew my mind. Thank you for saying it, USPS. I really, I like that a lot. That, that just truly came from like a strange, just res- deep recess of my brain. It, it's like in the same, it's the place, the compartment where I keep useless facts that matter to nobody. Like, okay, really quick. I know we have a cryptid to talk about, but this has been just bouncing around inside my skull since last night because I was thinking about it because I was trying to navigate my room in the dark after turning out the Mm -hmm. light. And did you know, Alex and listeners, uh, that pirates often wore eye patches, not because they were missing an eye, but so that they would have one eye always accustomed to the dark so that when they went below deck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did know that. Okay, well, maybe the listeners didn't. Um, I straight up do that in the middle of the night when I have to get up because I can't turn lights on. Me too. So yeah, I'll just keep one eye closed. I cover an eye and I wait. Yeah, so uh, yeah, pirates would keep one eye accustomed to the dark so that when they went below deck, they would be able to see because uh, it was feet dark down there. So that's my fun fact. I know Alex already knew that I'm not surprised because Alex is a font of information, <laughs> but I figured maybe somebody wouldn't know. And also, again, this has been bouncing around inside my skull since last night, just screaming for me to let it out. So there you go. <laughs> There's a... I think it's from... I think it's from Adventure Time. There's some monster that says, like, I have an approximate knowledge of many things. And every time I see that yes. screen cap, I lose my mind because I feel very <laughs> called out. Yes, that's the I, I don't remember what it calls uh, 
um, Finn the human, but it calls him something close. And he's like, wow, how did you almost know my name? Oh, yeah. I have approximate knowledge of many things. I have an approximate knowledge of many things. Uh, Okay, so speaking (laughs) of approximate knowledges and weird things, um, do you want to hear about a cryptid? I do. Um, I have been made some lofty promises about this cryptid, such that it is a fun boy. It is a fun boy. It's super weird, and you're going to really enjoy it. So this cryptid actually comes to us courtesy of our Patreon. Our $10 or above patrons, our $10 or above Patreon patrons, uh, or the Moth Fans tier, as it's duly addressed on our website, have the option actually to submit a cryptid that we will definitely cover in a future episode. So in the past, we've done polls where we voted on cryptids that we present to you. Um, now we've sort of changed the way we're doing that. If you're a $10 donor or above, you can directly submit cryptids and we guarantee that we will in fact get to them. Um, even if they're, <laughs> yeah, even if they're a little strange or maybe don't necessarily fall 100% into cryptid territory. This one today mm-hmm. is a little bit like that. It's a little strange, a little weird, a little fun, a little frisky. Uh, and it comes to us courtesy of Hallie Watts. So thank you, Hallie. Maybe it's Haley. Thank I you, Hallie. Hallie. Or Haley. Whichever one. Does it rhyme with Valley or Daily? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to say Hallie. I'm going to go for it and do like a, I'm going to go for it and do like a really weird pronunciation. Hi, Hallie. Hallie. <laughs> That's it. Hello, Holly. Okay. What is it? Welcome to Cryptid Keeper Podcast. <laughs> this seems offensive. I don't like it. <laughs> no, it's just like the backwards talking from Twin Peaks. Oh, perfect. So what is it? Uh, that's that's me now. This is the wild haggis. Ah. Uh, hmm. See, words mean things, Alex. <laughs> and what you've just said to me is not something I recognize as a creature. Tell me, tell me what you think is happening here with the wild haggis. Well, haggis is a Scottish dish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it yes. is, um, uh, I never remember which thing goes inside what. It is some amalgamation of sheep intestine and, uh, like, other parts, I believe. Uh, it's Close a, enough. It's a, it's a sausage-adjacent food made yes, of it is. Uh, sheep organs. Mm-hmm. And... I have never had it. I have Scottish origin, so I know that it is the food of my people in some way or another. But when you say wild haggis, that doesn't uh, that doesn't gel with me super well. Um, <laughs> I see just sort of a roving sausage on the uh, countryside. Yeah, so basically think of that. Add some muppety fur and weird eyes to it. <laughs> a roving sausage sounds like a really good pejorative, just in general. Sounds like a it really does, good... It does, doesn't it? Like a Shakespearean thing to call era, someone. sort of. Yeah. It's very good. Um, so okay. here's the deal with wild haggis. <laughs> Tell me what it is. The wild haggis is actually pretty much exactly what you have just described. No. Alex, that's... No, that's not allowed. The wild haggis is, first of all, it, it is fictional. This is not even an argument. The wild haggis is a completely fictional creature. So I apologize. It's not quite cryptid in its definition. However, it's adjacent to several other cryptids that actually have a close matching description. So we'll get into a little bit of that because this won't take up so much time. I will tell you a little bit about those guys. But the wild haggis is a totally fictional creature, and it's really mm-hmm. more of a countrywide inside joke than anything. Oh, that's cute. Uh, it is a Scottish creation. Yeah, so basically the joke is people asking what haggis is or where it comes from when they're ignorant tourists visiting the country. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's 
the wild haggis and it's this like weird critter that roams the highlands and hillsides and it looks like a muppety little haggis with fur and eyes and weird paws and that's basically its whole deal oh i like that there's actually a ton of information on the wild haggis like there's an entire sort of taxonomy invented for this critter and there's like stuff to know about its behaviors and its mating habits i love that there are different species of them that reminds me of um I'm sure you know about this. You know about a snipe hunt, right? Yes. It reminds me of a snipe hunt. It's a, which if you don't know, if you're listening, a snipe hunt is like, it's a practical joke. Um, I think it's like a majorly, mainly just kind of like North American thing. I'm not sure where all it's spread, mm-hmm. but it's basically like, it's, it's, it, it's become like a synonym for a wild goose chase, but you basically tell like, we're going on a snipe hunt. And then like, there is nothing to hunt. It's like, a, it's a joke. There's nothing there. Um, yeah. But that's what that reminds me of. Uh, sorry, please. So, wild haggis, its official taxonomic designation is Haggis scoticus. Oh, good. As you might expect. Uh, it's a fictional creature of Scottish folklore said to be native to the Scottish Highlands. It is comically claimed to be the source of haggis, which is, as you said, a traditional Scottish dish that's made up from, uh, like, sheep heart, lungs, and liver. I looked it up, by the way, because I wanted to make sure I was correct, and I was not prepared for some of, for this description, this very succinct little summary here. This is from Wikipedia. It is a savory pudding containing sheep's pluck mixed with onion, oatmeal, suet, spices, and salt mixed with stock and cooked well, traditionally encased in the animal's stomach, though now often in an artificial casing instead. Yeah. And, like, that's the food of my people. I have no room to judge it, or do I have all the room <laughs> to judge it? Because I do have Scottish heritage, so Maybe am I allowed? Maybe you are allowed to judge it. Maybe only I am allowed to say that sounds wild. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. Awful is also the food of my people because I have family in the American South. So just, we're just a kind of, we eat all the parts of the livestock that's just what we get up to this is this is not a judgment thing at all this is solely just like an american upbringing thing but the phrase savory pudding always makes me a little bit uncomfortable because for me growing up pudding meant a very specific thing well because pudding for us means what a lot of people in the uk or like scotland would call it custard Mm -hmm. yeah so the idea the first time i had sticky toffee pudding i was thrown off because i was like this isn't pudding but it is this isn't a pudding a pudding is, is a pudding is more essentially like a soggy bread or cake (laughs) like soggy with a sauce um Mm -hmm. or it's a sausage type thing because haggis is also a pudding i don't like that i do love sticky toffee pudding (laughs) good stuff uh yeah no i've learned a lot about puddings in my time watching the great british baking show (laughs) oh i mean as you will yeah, you will learn a lot. Uh, anyway, so here's some things to know about the wild haggis, and actually one of its oh, most perfect. one of its most defining qualities is that its left and right <laughs> legs are of different lengths, which allows oh. it to run quickly around the steep mountains and hillsides. <laughs> I don't imagine the correlation between those two, but oh no, it's it's because like if you're running on a sloped surface, uh, then the side that is closer to like that is on further up the incline those legs are shorter and the legs on the downside are longer so that it can run straight (gasps) oh my god while it's standing on a slope what happens to it when it's on non-sloped ground well that's the thing isn't it that's a way to catch them if you chase them onto flat ground then they can only run around in tight circles (laughs) oh no oh no would you like to know more (laughs) 
Oh, Alex, I would love to know more. Because there are two varieties of wild haggis, one with longer left legs and the other with longer right legs. Oh, of course. The former variety can run clockwise around a mountain and the latter run anti-clockwise because of the way their legs are. How could I be so ignorant as to not know? You will be happy to know that the two varieties coexist peacefully, but they're unable to interbreed in the wild because of the different leggies. Oh, no. Because as part of their mating ritual, they have to turn and face the same way. So if you have two who are of different species, they can't do it. They'll fall over. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I had the weirdest dreams last night. I need you to know I had a... Because I took... Because I'm trying to get my sleep schedule on track, I've been taking a melatonin supplement. Uh And... Melatonin can, as a side effect, like cause some kind of funky dreams. Mm-hmm. And so I need you to know that in this moment, I feel as if I have not woken up. Yeah, that'll do and it, won't I it? Am, this is Inception, a, a movie that is often referenced and joked about. I did see it once in theaters, and I just mean it feels like Inception, by which I, I say that because I woke up, but I feel distinctly as though I am still in the dreamscape. <laughs> Is the top still spinning? I don't know. His totem is not the top. His totem is his wedding ring. That's the fan theory that I buy, but we're not going to go into that right now. Uh, I don't care. It's another Christopher Nolan movie that fridges a woman so that fair. men can be angsty for three hours. I, I really don't care. They also woefully misused Ellen Page. I mean, most people do. It's true. They made her into an exposition machine and it broke my heart. But that's beside the it's point. It's a Christopher Nolan movie, and she is, regrettably, a woman, so... I regret nothing about Ellen Page being a woman. No, that was a dunk on Christopher Nolan, I not know. on Ellen Page I know. or, oh. or the, the fair gender. Happy International Women's Day, by the way. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to publicly uh, express my devotion for Ellen Page we know. for just a second. We know. Thank you. Been in love with her since Juno. What's up? Okay, please tell me more about the wild haggis. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about it. So Atlas Obscura has an article on the myth and mystery of Scotland's wild haggis. I love Atlas Obscura. Yeah, it's very fun. There have been mock academic papers written about the wild haggis. This is the definition of, and and probably this is partially why I love it so much, because the wild haggis is sort of the definition of a joke like that people just took so extremely far, like they just committed to the bit. And I really, I really resonate with that. The idea that like, this whole country would say, yeah, that's real, and then, like, write academic papers about it and publish things and, like, do a survey. Fun fact, there was a survey a few years back taken of United States tourists to Scotland, and Mm -mm. one-third of American visitors to Scotland thought, like, said they thought the wild haggis was real. Oh, my God. So this is, like, a successful joke, too. That's a much more charming version of when I found out that, like, 40% of Americans polled thought we were at war with the fictional country from Aladdin. Oh, God. Yeah, that was no good. But this, this I like. This being an ignorant American in this situation is, is just kind of full of whimsy, and I'm into it. It's good. I love it. I'm a little concerned about the amount of people who believe that there is an animal called a haggis that there are no pictures of and none of them have ever seen. But, you know, I appreciate... Oh, I do need you, I do need you to Google right now, wild haggis. Look at a okay. picture of this thing. Because there's a specific, like, museum model, and it is genuinely charming. Let's see, what does it look like? There's a conservation society, Alex? Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> ah! See that little... 
the little snout and the muppety fur. <laughs> It looks it's real good. It looks like a weasel wearing a dollar store wig. It's so good. I love it. This weasel went to Party City. <laughs> uh, the plural of wild haggis is Haggai, and babies are called Haglets. Okay, I love that, but also that's hilarious because the plural of haggis, the food, is just haggises, as I learned when I Googled it a moment ago to determine its ingredients. Well, okay, okay, but the plural of the animal is Haggai. Okay, thank you. Spelled A-E or with an I? That's fact. Um, H-A-G-G-I. Got it. Perfect. So the model that you're probably seeing is the museum quote-unquote specimen at the Kelvin Grove Art Gallery and Museum in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. It's displayed next to a prepared haggis for comparison. Oh, and thank it's so God. Funny. It's so funny to look at them right next to each other because literally the haggis is just this like little loaf shape and then the animal next to it is just like the exact same size and shape with just like you said a dollar store wig on it. <laughs> it's so good. I love it so much. I'm actually, I feel cheated right now because I went to a museum exhibit. I told you about it recently. I went to a museum exhibit about like controversial foods, um, foods that are just divisive based on different cultural reasons. It had a, it was actually a really, really great exhibit talking about sort of like different types of disgust and like the cultural divide between mm -hmm. like moral disgust or like smell or taste like fermented foods. And one of the foods, of course, was haggis. And they had a little plastic model of haggis just mm -hmm. to, for you to look at. They didn't have haggis for tasting, I think probably for safety reasons, because storing that and serving that to people in a sure, museum yeah. would be rough. Um, oh, it's actually also because you're not allowed to import true haggis. I remember reading this on the placard. You can't import like legitimate true Scottish haggis to the United States because there are rules about the import of food containing lung. Huh, interesting. So that was on the little information plaque, but I am really, I feel really cheated that there was no model next to the haggis of a wild haggis. I wish there had been, honestly. I feel deprived. I feel pretty upset. <laughs> they had a model that was just a lobster because in a lot of, which was a great, like that's totally separate, but it was a great reminder to me because I forget about the fact that like, Culturally, a lot of countries don't eat shellfish because they're, like, mm -hmm. dirty. They're bottom feeders and they're bugs, basically. And so it was just... I, I, I've talked about it before on here, so I won't belabor it, but I just really enjoyed the kind of, like the refusal to cater to an American eye in that exhibit, too, because they were like, oh, did you think you were just going to laugh at weird foreign foods? Um, we're going to tell you about how gross Twinkies are and lobsters are and yeah. all these weird, like, middle American foods. There's some real bad ones out there, huh? I will never forget the phrase Rocky Mountain Oysters because I learned what that means, and what it means is bull testicles. So anyway, yeah. tell me more about the wild haggis. Let's talk more about the wild haggis, huh? Mm-hmm. So... Nobody's really quite sure anymore how exactly the whole wild haggis joke got started. Like, we just don't know. We don't have proof of it. But it dates back at least to early 20th century. Because mm -hmm. as early as January 2nd, 1924, we have a poem in the New York Tribune describing a mythical hunt for a bearded, vicious haggis. Oh, thank God. Now, here's the thing, Alex. I want to just go mm -hmm. ahead and put out... put throw my hat in the ring in terms of a guess. I think it's probably a really safe estimate to say that this uh, legend started in a pub. Oh, almost definitely. <laughs> almost certainly. Almost certainly. And it's highly likely that the origin of the myth was to basically paint tourists as rubes. It was just to, you know, have a field day with dumb mm -hmm. tourists who came and say like oh yeah the wild haggis is out there like that's almost definitely why it happens right that's kind of it's like the whole deal with drop bears 
Oh, drop bears, yes. Which somebody, by the way, messaged uh, us on our Facebook page to ask about if we were familiar with the drop bear. Not the first one. I know. We've had a couple other people who have messaged us on Twitter or in the DMs and been like, do you know about drop bears? I have a couple people, I have a couple Australian friends that I've known for a long time through YouTube that I need to like, mm-hmm. it's really hard to coordinate with people who are on such a different time zone, but yeah. I really... When we do an eventual Drop Bear episode, I have some people lined up that I want to ask on because one of them, and I'll call her out, Maddie, she's probably going to hear this. She was one of my old YouTube friends growing up, and she tried really hard for years to convince me that Drop Bears were real. Like, Sorry, for- convince you that what's were real? Drop Bears? I'm sorry. I Do you mean it's your accent? I can't I can't. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. Um, <laughs> drop Bears? Drop bears. Drop bears? Drop bears. We're real? Drop bears are real. (laughs) She made, like, a full YouTube video, like, documentary about it, like, that she sent me, and she was like, no, they're real. (laughs) I made a full-length improvised documentary about Bigfoot when I was in middle school. No, I was in early high school. I guess it's time for me to honor my heritage and make a documentary about the wild haggis. I guess you have to make a wild haggis documentary. Anyway, would you like to hear a stanza of this poem? I would like to hear as much of this poem as you'll give me, to be honest. Unfortunately, there's only one. I tried very hard to find the full poem, and I just could not get it anywhere. It's Um, been lost to time. Yeah, unfortunately. uh, But it's, again, it was published in the January 2nd, 1924 edition of the New York Tribune by the satirical poet and journalist James J. Montague. And apparently the original thing was several stanzas long, but only I only have this one. And I cannot tell whether it would be, like, better or worse for me to, like, I don't, I don't know how to read this. It's written in this, like, Gaelic-ish, like, Scots Gaelic-ish dialect um, that, like, if I read it not in an accent, it's just going to sound very strange. But if I try to do an accent, I'm going to mangle it. So I don't know which poison to pick here. I think maybe just do kind of a strange voice, like, maybe not an accent, but just sort of a voice? Do you know what I mean? Just like a strange voice. Just like a voice. Like, let the text inform your verbal interpretation of it. All right, I guess. It's what they taught me in acting school. My heart's in the highlands, twas strings on my bow, to hunt the fierce haggis, man's awfulest foe. And we'll may my bairn ha tear in his ee, for I shall na come back if the haggis hunts me. Oh, I love that. It's very good. I mean, like, sorry, Jabberwock who? Okay, don't go that far, please. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I did memorize that poem in my third grade class, and I still remember it to this day because it's one of my favorites. One of my favorite pieces of bassoon literature, actually, is a recitation of the Jabberwock interspersed with contemporary bassoon. It's very strange. That sounds like something you made up, but I'm going to believe you because I trust you. I also... I'll send you a video later. It's very good. Please. I would like to propose um, maybe a Kickstarter, uh, an Indiegogo, something to fund the a new uh, new film in the National Treasure franchise. And it's just called National Treasure, but you need to know that when you see the title, it's actually pronounced like National Treasure. Um, <sighs> and it's a hunt for the rest of the poem. Oh, God, please. That was, like, the worst accent I've ever done on the show. I wasn't going to say anything. I, I had to take an accents and dialects class. I had to learn a Scottish accent. But I'll tell you right now that I, like, I think I did it closest to correct once and then never again. <laughs> it's not an easy one. No, it's definitely not. Um, the only... 
the f- <laughs> Sorry, this is terrible. I think I've talked about it on here before, but did you ever watch the Veggie Tales thing that was kind of basically Star Trek? Um, I think I've seen clips of that one. There was like a giant popcorn ball coming at the ship. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's Scotty says, oh, there's precious little you can do when you've got 15,000 metric tons of popcorn coming at you, lad. And Oh, jeez. My dad used to say that all the time, and that's the end of that. I'm sorry. Uh, Haggis? Haggis, yeah. Uh, So part of the reason that this comes back up around every year, and you'll see like articles like this start to come up around the beginning of every year, is because there is an annual celebration in Scottish on January 25th, which is called Burns Night, and it's a celebration of the Scottish poet Robert Burns, who famously loved Haggis. Aww. And his admirers will display a haggis to the tune of bagpipes and recite the famed poem Address to a Haggis, which is, in case you were wondering, not an address to a wild haggis, but to an actual food item. I figured and I like that. It's a long and beautiful poem addressed to a haggis, and it's great. It's like this celebration of, like, folksy Scottish life, and it's very fun and charming. I think that's nice. It is nice. It's very, it's very lovely and weird. I admire that celebration of an artist's legacy by just sort of trotting out their favorite food and Mm -hmm. uh, one of their pieces of work. I think that's very, very sweet. And honestly, I hope that someday if I die, uh, that in my honor, perhaps, I'm trying to think of what my favorite, what is a food that I would write a poem about? Alex, I want to know yours too, so I'm going to think about this for a second. I think mine is absolutely coffee. No, like a dish. Like, I don't want, that's that's cheating. (laughs) I mean. (laughs) That's cheating. Well, how is that cheating? It's cheating. (laughs) Okay, um... Then probably pad thai. Okay, that's good. I like that. Gosh, I think probably an ode to a breakfast burrito. Yeah, that's fair. Like a like a like a really good one with like hash browns in it. Respectable. And that's what mine is. I just really wanted to know. So I hope that someday, if I die, um, that maybe in celebration of my memory, people will play this episode of the Cryptic Keeper <laughs> and oh, good. lift to the light. A large breakfast burrito from uh, Danny Trejo's taco place. Oh, man. Very good. Which I have gotten multiple times. I know he doesn't make the burritos himself. I think he's a busy man. But I like to imagine that every breakfast burrito I've had from that place was handmade by Danny Trejo, the actor. He just comes in. He just comes in and gently kisses all of them. them Into the world. He doesn't make them. He doesn't have time. But he does stop in every morning. (laughs) After they've all been prepared. <laughs> and give a gentle kiss to each burrito. <laughs> just a just a gentle one, a tiny one. His hands are gloved, they are they are sanitary, but he does just sort of caress it very lightly and then just a little right on there. And that's why they all taste so good, because they're made with love. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, so I did need to get out of the way the fact that the wild haggis is very not real and sort of why it exists and why we talk about it and what its sort of cultural significance is. But now that I've done that, uh, I would like to sort of jump feet first into all of the lore that is made up about the wild haggis. So Please. from this point forward in the episode, we will be discussing it as if it is a real creature. Okay, I let me just sort of settle into the world. Let me yes and that. Let me just kind of... Take on my given circumstances. As you're making this transition, though, I want you to know that this next source comes entirely from a website for Stolly Quality Foods, which is a producer of haggis. Oh, good. I love a folktale that is just a long-form commercial. 
It's really good. So on the Stolly Quality Foods website, they mm-hmm. have an entire section of their website uh, dedicated to telling you, you know, where their haggis comes from. And so you have to learn all about the free-range haggis and the mm. wild haggis that uh, is the source of their fine foodstuffs. I'm so glad it's free-range because, honestly, I I just I really can't endorse factory farming of wild haggis. They're meant to run free with their crooked legs with up their and down the mountainside. beautiful crooked legs. You can't cage them. You can't make a cage to contain that. <laughs> All right, so the wild haggis is a small, rough-haired quadruped creature native to the Scottish Highlands. A mm-hmm. notable feature is that the legs on one side of the animal's body are both significantly longer than those on the other, this being a local, long-term evolutionary adaptation to living on the steep sides of Scottish mountains. Sure. And, of course, haggis thus adapted can only travel with any ease or speed in one direction. Uh, the clockwise haggis are haggis scotti dexterous, or anti-clockwise, which is Haggis scotti sinistris, depending on whether the legs are longer on the left or right side of the animal, naturally. Of course. Uh, if the shorter legs do not remain on the upslope side of the hapless beastie, it is in severe danger of falling over sideways and rolling to the bottom of the hillside. Oh, good. <laughs> As you do. Now, something you may not be aware of is a notable event in history, which was the capture of the Great Haggis in 1743. Oh my god, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Hebridean haggis is thought to be the original native species from which all other haggis are descended. All right. So the original, this original breed of haggis, the Hebridean, was much smaller and more hardy than the mainland var- uh, variations. Mm-hmm. And it formed part of the staple diet of the ancient Scots, actually. Of course. What else is there to eat? Right, yeah. I mean, it was just a, a bountiful foodstuff. And, uh, you know, they truly used every part of the haggis back then. <laughs> <laughs> it is believed that the present wild haggis population is descended from those feral haggis, which in turn were the descendants of the domesticated Hebridean haggis, abandoned when the native Scots crofters and their families were forced to leave the land at the time of the Highland clearances. Oh no! So, you know, yeah, when the when the gales were ex- ex- um, expelled from the countryside and had to leave their domesticated Hebridean haggai behind, those became feral, and those feral haggai were the uh, predecessors to today's wild haggis population. Alex, I don't like knowing that they were ever pets. No? I don't like that. I don't feel good about that. <laughs> I don't think it's pets so much as livestock. Okay, you say domesticated, my brain was just, okay. It just, to me, is equivalent to sort of a feral colony of gerbils becoming oh, a no. food stuff for a people. And and that's a lot to me. But I also know that people eat guinea pig and I know that people eat similar things. So it's not really that weird, but it's fine. Tell me more. <laughs> sure you're doing okay? Oh yeah, I'm fine. All right. Well, like the crofters themselves, the haggis faced extinction through competition with the large numbers of sheep, which were introduced as part of a process of agricultural change, you know, considered to be mm-hmm. necessary improvements by the landowners. Um, the, hag- the haggis, unfortunately, were at a disadvantage because, you know, they weren't as flexible with the kind of terrain they were able to occupy and mm. their need their need for a constant supply of local heather uh and peaty burns because haggis have an acute sensitivity to water pH balance. Oh, none of the I live see. pet haggis which the crofters attempted to take with them survived for more than a few days away from their native mountainsides. Very, very sad. Oh no. So yeah, when all of the uh, the original Scots were displaced, their their haggis unfortunately did not survive that transition. Poor things. Yeah, but a large number of wild haggis still roam the moors, 
uh, of the Western Isles, and despite the Isles of Lewis and Harris having a strict Sabbatarian tradition, the Hebridean Haggis Hunt is one of the few events that takes place on a Sunday across all of the islands. Oh, wow. The Lewis Haggis is different from the Haggis on the mainland. Now, unlike its mainland relative, all of its legs are the same length. Wait, really? Yeah, the Lewis Haggis, specifically. Oh, wild. Capturing of wild haggis on Lewis Isles are a traditional community event. So at dusk, the young men of the villages will go out onto the moors. They form a wide semicircle while the elders cover peat creels with heather and turf. And then the young men drive the haggis toward the traps. So it's a... It's a group effort. What a you know? marvelous tradition. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. Uh, it's unfortunate, you know, I, I don't want to go into any of the messy details of the hunt Please and don't. processing of the haggis afterwards. I understand we have some individuals with sensitive stomachs out there, so I will save you from that detail. Also a co-host who's a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, there are a lot of regional and very specifically local subspecies of haggis that are identifiable to the true haggis expert because of the difference in the length of legs. See, every haggis has a different specific kind of habitat, and so their legs have adapted in very specific measurements. Oh! So the steeper the hillside in an area where a haggis population lives, obviously, the greater differentiation there's going to be in their leg lengths. Right, of course. Now, I have to tell you, one of the saddest things I've seen while I was researching the haggis is this one illustration somebody did of a mother haggis and her little haglet, and they were, like, different legged. So it was just, like, the mother looking sadly back over her shoulder at her little haglet because they had to face in opposite directions. <gasps> oh my god, that's because, horrible! Because the, the haglet had been born with opposite legs. <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> it was really upsetting. That's, like, on par with the beginning of Finding mm-hmm. Nemo. I hate that. It was real sad. <laughs> yeah. Pixar, get your hands on this story. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, so that's pretty much all there is to the haggis. If you look up the wild haggis online, there are a bunch of different pages. They're all varying levels of tongue-in-cheek. There's a page on instructables.com that is just straight-up instructions on how to trap a wild haggis. Oh, no. Haggis hunting. Uh, yeah, it's pretty great. And the description is just, I've been perfecting my haggis catching technique over many years, and I think I found the most effective and humane way of catching haggis. And it goes into detail about how to do that. And that page never goes on to tell you that it's not a true thing. So that's fun. There are a lot of pages like that that just never let you in on the joke. Which I kind of enjoy. Oh, I love it. That's also definitely the sort of thing that I would have found as a child when I didn't yet know how to vet my sources and would have just believed whole cloth, then taken in with me to school or to a parent and then be laughed at. Um, But (laughs) I also want to say, too, that I'm a little concerned if they never let you in on the joke because there are animals that look similar enough to a haggis that live in Scotland. Because it's, yeah. at its essence, what is a wild haggis if not a disco badger? Man, you're so right. So I'm a little worried that someone's going to see just kind of a long-haired badger <laughs> that looks like it has a song in its heart and trap it and try to make it oh. into sausage. Yikes. Anyway, I just really wanted to say disco badger. Disco badger is pretty good. Um, that's about 10 years too late to be a really good screen name on AIM, but I'm sure somebody had it. There are still websites with screen names. Yeah, but none that have that raw, chaotic AIM energy, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I just accidentally Google imaged wild haggis and I found the sad picture of the mother and her baby. Oh no, I'm so sorry. It's okay. By accidentally, I mean I typed it into Google and looked at the images that came up. Oh, come on. Anyway, 
Um, there are pages like that. Then there are pages that are very upfront about the fact, like, this is not a real animal. But here's some information about it. Mm-hmm. However, um, I said earlier, and we only have a few minutes to get to this, but I said earlier that there oh, are actually other critters that have some similarities to the wild haggis. Mm-hmm. And one of those is actually a fearsome critter of the lumberwoods yes! called the Side Hill Gouger. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know. We love our fearsome critters. My favorite book. Do you know about the Side Hill Gouger? I have heard the phrase. I don't believe I've read the entry on it. I don't think I have any information on it. So would you enlighten me, please? Sure. So the side hill gouger is, uh, the big similarity here is the leg length. As you might have guessed from the title, the side hill gouger lives on the side of hills. And its legs are different lengths on opposite sides of its body so that it can run quickly along the hillsides. Oh, good. Uh, This one is not so much a disco badger as it is kind of like a fun, weird mountain goat deer thing. Oh, yeah, it's it's cute. It looks like a deer with long, shaggy fur. Um, it doesn't have antlers that I've seen, uh, but it is like just kind of cute and fun. I'm just going to go ahead and read real quick the Fearsome Critters of the Lumberwoods entry on this bad boy because Sounds good. I love the voice in these entries so much. Oh, it's oh, it's fabulous. So the side hill gouger, uh, scientific name is Membranicoalis declavatitis. Very good. We've had a good bit of perceptibly acrimonious discussion as to the correct vulgate name of this engaging little animal. Some Easterners say Side Hill Badger. Some Californians insist that Side Hill Winder is correct. There are some vigorous proponents of Garafro, Croc, and Side Hill Wowser. Oh. While a few technical parties claim that Gyascatus is the one and only. The majority of the pleadings are in favor of the Gouger, so we'll stand on that. Always a dweller in hilly country. He has to be, since his nigh legs are shorter than the off pair. There are six to eight pups in a litter. And once in a great while, some of them arrive with the relationship reversed. Oh. After being weaned, these sports are rarely seen again by their orthodox-legged brothers and sisters. Normal gougers must obviously travel around the hillside, and in making their daily rounds for food, they wear the characteristic partly gouged-out paths so familiar to woodsmen. These paths were once very common in New England, but today they are thought to be most frequently seen in the partly forested regions of the West. I am indebted to Mr. Bill Erickson of North Haven, Maine, and various other points, for the following account of how the Gouger population migrated from New England. It seems, said Bill, that the Gouger population was getting too thick. There weren't enough food to go around, and somebody just had to move out. A pair of these ambitious little varmints, one orthodox, one abnormal-legged, got together and decided to strike out for a new location. Of course, they could navigate on the hillsides and slopes all right, but they knew mighty well they'd bog down on the flats. Uh-huh. So when they struck level going, they just leaned against each other with the longer legs. With the longer legs outermost, sort of like a pair of drunks going home from town. Is it, is, does it say that? <laughs> okay. Yep, it's like a three-legged race. This mighty smart adaptation of a natural uh, proclivity took them well across the central states and made it possible for them to found the Gouger colonies now existing in the West. So when you had two with opposite sided legs, the way that they would get across flat land is by leaning their short legs up against each other so they could just walk on their longer That's legs. That's so cute. Also, I would like to submit my vote for uh, the Side Hill Wowser solely because it's a really good name. I hear it in the voice of, like, an obnoxious child sidekick from an old movie. Wowzer. Sidehill wowzer, mister! Um, Also, the sidehill gouger, and this is probably my own personal bias creeping in, but does sound like the name given to a B-level creepypasta monster. 
Oh, it absolutely does. And it's the title. It's from a story with a title like, Why I Never Go Into the Mountains Alone. And then you learn about, my grandpa once told me about the side hill gouger. It has Mm -hmm. long, long fingers and a smile too wide for its face. Uh, Well versed in the tropes. But I do love it. I do love this kind of shaggy goat friend. It is very good. I love a mountain goat. And this is adjacent enough to a mountain goat for me to love it as well. Do you have any other uh, real life, real life haggises? Uh, any real life hag? First of all, it's Haggai. Haggai. Sorry, any other creatures that fit the same description? Um, there is one other, and let me just find it real quick. Yeah. So the only other one I found that is like a little bit relative relevant is the Dahu, which is a legendary creature that resembles a mountain goat and is well-known in France and the Francophone regions of Switzerland and Italy. Now, it's not so similar to the wild haggis, but it is similar to the sidehill gouger, and so it kind of forms this, like, last link in the chain, where you have the wild haggis, which is, like, entirely fictional, and then you have um, the sidehill gouger, which has the leg thing in common, and then you have the Dahu, which is pretty much the same thing as the Sidehill Gouger. It's got the legs on one side of its body that are shorter than the legs on the opposite side. And it lives in um, it lives in the mountainous regions of France and Switzerland and Italy, like the Alps over there. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, it's fun. Do you remember? It was a very short-lived, but while it was alive, my goodness, did it live a, a heck of a life. The meme... That circulated around Tumblr with the mountain goats that would climb up to lick the salt off the... They crave that mineral. They crave that mineral. And I think about that a lot. They crave it. And it it was a flash in the pan of a meme. I think it was around for like a week. It burned bright and then faded fast. Uh, Which was just tragic. I miss it every day. It's earned its place in my heart. I loved it. It was one of my favorites. It came from a blog that was like not that great of a blog. Like, uh, I think that's part of why it died so fast. But I want to separate the uh, separate the meme from its origin now because it was made so great by all the people who took it and just ran with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, they crave that mineral. But that's something I've been thinking about like pretty intensely for the last fifteen minutes. Just so you know. Oh, good. <laughs> thinking about the uh, side hill gouger or any some such mountain dwelling hillside dwelling creature climbing up to lick the salt. It's very very good. I like it a lot. They lick the salt. Yep. Um, so that's all I've got. I, I like the am, wild haggis. Yeah, the wild haggis is fun. I'm sorry. I know that I'm, like, not the most clear-headed today, and that was a combination of both the cold medicine and the fever that kept me up last night. So we out here, we doing it. Oh, buddy, no. You do not have to apologize to anyone. If anything, your the virus that is racking your immune system should apologize to you. It should, but I know I'm never going to get that apology. I know. Especially because viruses are, like, barely alive, and I don't think they have enough uh, cognitive ability to make an apology, let alone to feel guilt. Yeah, that's a mood. But, (laughs) that's a mood. (laughs) Uh, But, I have a really, I really have a heck of a soft spot for just sort of a long-form practical joke animals. And to be fair, like... Anyone who's mad about us covering this particular creature should have also been mad about us covering the hodag because it's a very similar type mm-hmm. of creature. Yeah. Um, but like, please don't get mad at us for either one because we just want to have a fun time and talk about talk about silly things sometimes on a show that you listen to for free. And like I said, someone paid us money to talk about this one. So true. 
true. So we have to. So if you want a better one, maybe you should donate money and then we'll do whatever you want. You're making it a very competitive cryptid market right now, Alex. That's fine. I want to do that live show. I do too. I want to do that. Speaking of that, speaking of that, uh, we have a stretch goal going on our Patreon right now that if we pass, will take us to uh, setting up for the first ever Cryptic Keeper live show, which would be great because you can hear what we sound like when Val isn't here to cut out all the dead air and the times that I say, um, and yeah, and okay. <laughs> no, it's fine. It'll be great. But I also want to have an experience where we can sort of break down the wall between the uh, the show and its audience and have just a big discussion about cryptids like and share the energy and share the enthusiasm and share the love and also live shows are fun and I want to do one really bad. Yeah, same friend. My energy is really weird because I came out of my weird melatonin dreams and now I'm here awake but I don't feel like I'm awake. I had a dream that I was in a short film that was an adaptation of, like, a creepypasta story, but, like, I didn't remember filming the short film. The huh. film just got released, and I was in it, and I was like, whoa, what? Why did I sing so many of my lines? And then I was in my high school choir class, and I discovered I wasn't registered for choir, but I was registered for a class on handwriting and a class on The Matrix. So anyway. That's very good and powerful, and I like it a lot. My subconscious has a lot going on, apparently, especially when I take supplements to help me sleep. Yeah, that's a mood. Which is funny because the melatonin supplements may or may not actually do anything, so this could be purely placebo effect just inspiring my brain to run wild. <laughs> but that's okay. So, we have fun here. We have a good time. And part of part of the reason we're able to have the fun that we have here is because of the support of our listeners. Ooh, slick transition. Thank you. So I actually would like to take some time. Let me just pull up what I need. I have some donors to thank. Uh, I have fallen way behind uh, like a big, big buffoon. Uh, I almost said big balloon, which is not the word that I meant to say. Not quite the same, no. I have fallen behind like a big balloon. Like a, you know what? Like a deflated mylar balloon from a Walgreens oh, no. pharmacy. Yes. Okay. Good. So we have, I have 13 people that I need to thank. Okay. So let's fire these off. Thank you all so much. So I would like to thank Eleanor Shway. I would like to thank Tyler Hamill. I would like to thank Philip Brooks. I would like to thank Midge, Ethan Woodman, Gara Wolfdog, Adam Kennedy. Nice. Moe Shandon Pacino. Sorry, I hope I pronounced that correctly. If it's, it might be Pacino. If I pronounce your names wrong, just like know that I'm doing my best and feel free to at me about it. Um, tell us we did it wrong, but don't tell us how to do it right. So we just have to keep doing it until oh, yeah. we get there. Uh, Sergio Sassendo, Gracie Liebenstein, Teresa Innocencio, Dustin Kazam, and Ashley Pollock. Thank you all so much. You guys are stars. You rock. You're the real keepers. Wink. And I uh, thank you for your patience. I will not fall quite so behind in the future. And also, thank you to just anyone who listens and supports us in any way. Uh, if you can't do it or don't want to do it uh, via the Patreon, that's totally understandable. So thank you just to people who support us by listening, by spreading word of mouth, which is the number one way this show gets found by people, I think, and is probably mm -hmm. the only reason it's grown to the unfathomable size that it has at this point in time. Uh, and thank you to people who um, buy 
for instance, merch. Our merch store is back open. I didn't mean to uh, step on your toes there, Alex, <laughs> but our merch store is back open. No, you're totally good. Our merch store is open. It's lit. Yeah, what do we have? We have some beautiful cryptid postcards featuring three different spots around the world and the stunning cryptids that reside there. That's some gorgeous full-color art. Uh, you can buy those. They're blank on one side and glossy printed on the other. You can get that in the Totzelverm, Fresno Nightcrawler, or uh, Groot Slang variety. And those are all really, really cool. I love them a lot. Those were by Haley Sato. And then we have a beautiful full-size poster featuring Ooh, me and Addison sitting around a campfire. And it says, stay safe out there. And that's by Nick Beecher, who also did our logo. It's such a good poster. Yeah, it's really, really good. And then we have the diner mugs, which we've had for a while um, that we've used as, like, bonus exclusives. And then we have... What else do we have? Stickers. We have the stickers. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I was waiting on the edge of my seat. Well, why don't you why don't you tell them about the stickers, the beautiful stickers? We have two sticker sheets. Uh, they are sort of centered around... Mine and Alex's personal brand. There are there's an Alex sticker sheet and an Addison sticker sheet that feature a sticker of us and then some of our sort of best of creatures that we've talked about. So Alex's has like a hellhound, has Braxy. Uh, what mm-hmm. are some of the others on your sheet? Um, mine also has the Totsilverm. Totsilverm, yeah. Yeah, and mine has um, Jeff the talking mongoose. Has mm-hmm, uh, the slip mouthed woman, has uh, just a bunch of fun creatures. Oh, the Fresno Nightcrawler. Um, yeah, the other thing to know about those sticker sheets, because I don't know if it's totally clear from the listing, like I did put the measurements in there, but in case you guys were wondering, they're big sticker sheets. Like the sheets themselves are a full eight and a half inches by 11. Like they're big stickers and they're mm-hmm. beautiful, and you're definitely getting your, your worth with those. They're exceptional. Oh, yeah, they're big. I am really excited to get my own copies of the stickers so I can put them all over everything I own. Uh, <laughs> yes, can't wait. And so, yeah, feel free to uh, peruse. And then a few of our and a few of our old T-shirts left as well. Oh so yes, very good. You can still pick some of those up in limited stock. So get one now. But um, oh, ho, ho, ho. thank you to everyone supporting us in all your myriad ways. And like I said, even just downloading the show or leaving a favorable rating and review. What are words? Favorable rating and review because that helps the show um, get promoted by iTunes or its other platforms. It helps people find it. And yeah, just thank you for being a really, really cool, fun community. And also, while I'm extending thank yous, thank you to our in-house composer. I will never stop calling him that. Andrew Giada, who does our theme music. It's a good joke. And thank you mm-hmm. to our audio wizard, Val Patron, who makes us sound so pretty for your ears. Anything else, Alex? Um, a thank you, as always, to the Lunar Light Studio, our podcast network of choice and home to many other exceptionally wonderful shows. Shows like, for example, uh, Whatcha Call It, or Snub Dub, Storyboard, The Good Boys Girl, Netflix and Kill, Netflix and Kill, Ending Pending, um, Over Witch, the brand new show Comradical, which is about, like, demystifying socialism. There's several others. I should Tin Pan Diddly Do. done this on a day when my brain was functional. Tin Pan Diddly Do if you like musicals. Tin Pan Diddly Do, Artificial Ghost Radio, lots of really excellent excellent podcast offerings for you there. Please do those because we're not on the Netflix of podcasts yet. We never will be. Sorry, I should have said that. Um, we never will be. Um, oh, speaking of networks, also thank you to the One Shot Network, who is our home for Horror Borealis. And 
I think that's, mm-hmm. we have a lot of people to thank, and that's why we're so lucky. So, you know what? Because nobody gets here alone. That's always, is that the truest statement of all time? So, as always, friends, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.